That was a fun time. I should, I want to come out and shake some hands. <laughs> well, good morning. We are so glad that you are with us this morning as we kick off our new series through the book of First Corinthians. And I am really excited about this series for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I love the, uh, the city of Corinth. There's just, there's so much that we can learn um, from them. And uh, Paul spent a lot of time there. And so, uh, Corinth was, a, was an interesting city to study from. So the, the letter that Paul writes is to a church that's actually in uh, Corinth, which is where we get the word 1 Corinthians. I don't know if anybody knew that. How many of you read through 1 Corinthians? Anybody? It's really a fascinating book. There are some great lessons um, that we can learn. Um, Paul is writing um, to correct Samaria to encourage the saints. And so but he begins by encouraging the saints. That's what we're going to look at um, today. I believe that through this series that you are going to be encouraged in your faith. I believe that our church is going to be strengthened uh, for what God has for us as he unifies us um, together and leads us out into the future. Just a little background uh, on the city of uh, Corinth. It's, a, it's an older city, so it's, it was several thousand years old. It was actually destroyed in uh, 146 B.C., and so, and then uh, Julius Caesar gave the command to have the city rebuilt in 44 BC. And so it was destroyed, it was rebuilt. And so by the time the Apostle Paul um, got to uh, uh, Corinth, um, that city was a very thriving city. It was almost a half a million people. It was a thriving city with a huge population that was having a huge impact um, on their part of the world. Today it lies in ruins, but back then it was huge. It was a major uh, city that had a reputation for being a financial center um, for that area. It was a political center. It was a city of influence. It might be uh, much like maybe our city of Chicago, maybe Los Angeles or New York. It was a city that had a lot of influence. And just like with our major cities today, um, Corinth was also a city that was known for having a love of things and stuff. Uh, they had a love for pleasure um, people were looking to advance and climb the social ladders of success. They were looking for the latest, best, best job. They were looking to climb uh, the ladders of social uh, mobility. And so there was a lot of influence. There was a lot of climbing over one another. It was an aggressive city. But it was also known and overrun with immorality. <laughs> it was filled with temples. Uh, had prostitution, there were nightclubs, and there were bars, there was idolatry and uh, exploitation. It was a hotbed of sin and corruption. So it was a city of influence, and it was also a city of sin and corruption. And what was really interesting about the city back then was is that it wasn't things that people were trying to hide from one another. This was all stuff that was done out in the open. And so you could walk through the city and very well see how fallen and broken um, their community had become. You know, it's interesting. I had a, was blessed with an opportunity to go to Greece um, last year. And so we had an opportunity to go to uh, uh, Corinth. And so, you know, there's a little picture of me standing up there with the, uh, that's the uh, Temple of Apollo right out there in the middle of the city. You got the uh, Temple of Aphrodite. There's my daughter. Doesn't she look happy to be sandwiched in between her mom and I? <laughs> Okay, I'll take a picture. <laughs> well, right there, smack on the, right in the middle of the sea, you've got this huge temple of Apollo, and then we've got the temple of Aphrodite. And so that was just off to the side. So that's the temple of Aphrodite. And there's a little picture of what she looked like. And so uh, Aphrodite, 
Uh, it's her statue. She was a Greek goddess um, that was known for her sexual love and for her beauty and a whole bunch of other stuff that we're just not going to talk about this morning. And so Aphrodite uh, was well known in that time, that part of the country. And below her is the statue of uh, Dionysus. And so he was the Greek god of wine, winemaking, grape cultivation, fertility, ritual madness, and religious ecstasy, and a whole bunch of other stuff we don't even want to know about, right? And so it was just a broken community, and right in the middle of it was a celebration of all these different things. Also in the middle of the city, there's a picture of a Pyrene fountain, and so right there you've got, uh, you've got temples, you've got um, some little drinking areas off the side there. It's filled with, um, you know, it's a bathhouse, it's got altars for sacrifice in it. It's got tables all set up through it. And then down the sides were rooms um, that you could use uh, whatever you were doing with the bathhouse. And sure, I'm sure that everything that was immoral came together right here in the hotbed in the middle of this city. Immorality, immorality was just rampant uh, in this um, community. And it was all out in the open and accessible and uh, permissible. And this is the environment that Paul came to preach the good news about Christ in. Talk about a missions endeavor, right? He went right smack down, right into the middle of this hotbed of sin and and corruption and uh, to preach the good news about Christ. And during his second and third missionary journeys, he had opportunities to tell people about Christ. It was there that he would co-labor for about 18 months um, with uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Um, just teaching people about the good news about Jesus Christ. And through his ministry and different ministries there, um, there were many people that came to faith in Christ. And so in the middle of this um, community, we see a group of believers that places their faith in Christ and has an opportunity to start meeting together as Christians, not like we're doing today. And we had an opportunity to visit one of their, uh, uh, the church that was supposedly um, where they were meeting as well, where Paul got to preach from. And so it was kind of cool, but it was really small little area off to the side compared to everything that was going on uh, in the middle of this community. And these early believers, um, they struggled to live out their faith. And so they had been called out of this culture, but they struggled um, to live out their faith. There was a lot of words, but not a lot of action. And they were constantly being pulled back into their culture. They were constantly being pulled back in into the world. And it's not unlike some of the struggles that we face today, is it? It's difficult to be a Christian and live out your faith in your workplace, in your community. We're constantly being pulled back into the world. And that was the case with those early believers uh, in the city of uh, Corinth. At one point, word gets back to Paul about how bad things were got, got, have gotten. And uh, Paul writes in this letter to them in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, he actually says this, it's been reported back to me that there is sexual immorality among you. I mean, you guys are falling right back into where you were called out of. And so he's encouraging them and challenging them not to live that way. And not only are they living that way, but the things that he's been hearing about are the kind of things that are not tolerated even among the pagans. And so even these early Christians, not only are they getting pulled back into the world, but they're really living out a worldly faith. They're not living out the faith that they've been called to in Christ. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them to knock it off and to be reminded about who they are in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this, he reminds them that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. You've been set apart. You are not your own. Your body is for the Lord now, and the Lord is for the body. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? You are a temple of the living God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have been set apart for God's purposes. You are a member of the body of Christ. Shall then the members of Christ, shall they unite themselves with a prostitute? That's a rhetorical question. No way, never, don't do that. And so he writes them to encourage them in their faith and to tell them to not live that life that they formerly left. And so the Corinthians are constantly being pulled back into worldly standards. They're fighting, they're bickering amongst themselves, there's divisions. Um, Paul writes to encourage them in their faith and to remain united in who they are as, as Christ followers. And Paul's message uh, for this early church is just as relevant then as it is for us today. It is not uh, uncommon for us to struggle with being influenced by our world. We are called to be set apart and know who we are in Christ. In the letter of 1 Corinthians, there's some, there's some history and some theology in the book, but that's not primarily what the book was written for. You know, 1 Corinthians is a lot of uh, addressing divisions. And so as we move through this series, we're going to be looking at things that tear us apart, that don't unite us. There are things that cause division in the church. And so we're going to be talking about how we can be united and not be divided as we go through this series. But the thing I really like about what Paul does at the beginning of this letter is he sets the stage for the fact that this is a personal letter from him to the church. It would be as if um, I were to write a letter to my family at Springbrook. Not that the history and the theology is not important, but Paul's heart that he's trying to capture here is, is, I love you, I care about you, and this letter is for you. As we read through it, there's going to be things that we can learn and apply um, to our own lives. That's what this series is all about. And I think in some ways, you know, the the church today has lost its way in the same way. We're at risk of caving in to um, consumer-driven passages and and ideas. And so we're so easily driven um, by our culture that we have to step back and, and we have to look at God's word and say, what does God have for us and not be influenced by our culture? And I believe our series, as we go through this, is going to help us to reunite and be clear about our vision, our mission, and our values, and it's going to unify us together as we step out in what God has for us. I think it's going to encourage us to be united as we live out our faith, um, fulfilling God's purpose for us, not just individually, but collectively as the body of Christ at Springbrook. There is power in unity, and that's what we want to look at this morning. I know it's going to be a great series. I'm looking forward to all that God has for us. But as we turn to the beginning of 1 Corinthians this morning, let's look at what Paul has for us in these first nine verses. And if you brought your Bible with you, just go to the center and start turning to the right until uh, you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you're using our YouVersion Bible app, you can search Springbrook um, or you can go to our website, springbrook.org slash notes. We've got an outline of our time together. The passages are there as well. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, it says this, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and to our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corneth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always give thanks for you because of his grace that's been given to you in Christ Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way, in your speaking and in all your knowledge because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, do not lack any spiritual gift as you easily await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God who has called you into fellowship with his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful. Let's pray as we um, prepare to dive deeper into this text. Father, I just want to thank you for uh, your call in our life. I thank you for who we are in Christ. And I thank you for your word that it might be written on our hearts. I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Paul uh, as he writes to his friends and his brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in this city of Corinth. And God, I just thank you for um, our time together this morning. I pray that you would soften our hearts for what you would have for us as we seek to be united around our identity individually and collectively as the body of Christ. We lift our time up to you this morning for your glory and for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, Paul begins his letter um, with words of encouragement. He's going to, um, as we move through the letter, see where he's going to be speaking into the divisions and the things that are causing disunity. But at the beginning of this chapter, he's really just building up and encouraging um, his fellow believers. Today in our passage, Paul's going to speak to the power of unity that I find is rooted in two requirements. There's two requirements that we have to live out if we're going to be united, as Paul's calling us to in this passage. And the first thing that unites us is is that we need to know who we are individually. You need to know who you are before we can know who we are, are together. And so if we're going to be united you have to know who you are, and you have to know who we are. Our series is going to look through the different divisions and how to avoid falling into sin. You know, we have been blessed that we don't have a church that is filled with divisions and quarreling. We are blessed. It's a blessing to the harmony that we're experiencing, and we want to continue to experience that as God leads us into the future together. And so before Paul addresses the actual issues of divisions uh, in this Corinthian church, he identifies the power that they have in their unity. And the first one is, is in their understanding who they are individually. We have to know who we are individually. Paul has his own identity. Clearly, we see in the first, first passage, Paul opens up the verse by saying, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, So Paul clearly has in his mind who he is and where his focus is. Sothenes, we don't have a lot of information about it. It could have been somebody that was traveling with Paul, maybe somebody that was taking notes, maybe helped him write 1 Corinthians. There's not a lot that we know about him. But we know from Paul's opening statement that Paul has clarity about his calling. He knows who he belongs to. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And that's important for Paul because Paul would constantly be challenged on his authority. See, he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples that was actually with Jesus. Jesus didn't appear to him till later. As you read through in Acts chapter 9, 10, 11, you see Paul's conversion. Jesus appeared to Paul at a later date. And so Paul had firsthand experience with Jesus, but he was not one of the original 12 disciples. And so sometimes he was getting challenged by his authority. And he had to remind people of his calling on his life and that he was, in fact, one of the apostles recognized by the other apostles, recognized by Christ himself, recognized by the other disciples. He was one of the uh, apostles, but not one of the original 12. And so Paul had a clear understanding of who he was in Christ, what his role was, and what his call was on his life. And so do you have that kind of clarity? Do you understand who you belong to, who you are in Christ, and what your identity is? Paul has a clear identity of who he is in Christ. And he opens up that letter with that understanding of, hey, I am an apostle by the will of God, by Christ Jesus, 
I've got some things I want to share with you. And then he shares these words to the Corinthian believers at the beginning there. He goes on to remind them of who they are individually. In verse 2 and 3, he says, to the church of God that is in Corneth, to those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, that are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so who are these early believers called to be? What is their identity? Where do they find their identity? Well, we know that they're a part of the church of God. We know that uh, this church is not ours, um, that God raises up every body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the head. And so individually, they know that they're part of something else. They're part of the church of God. And that's a statement in and of itself, isn't it? We know who we belong to. We know what, what faction we're a part of. We're not a part of this culture. We're called to be separate. We're called to be apart. You know, we are a part of God's church, and we're sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so that's one of the things that we know about ourselves as well. If you have a relationship with Christ, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And that word sanctified is an important word because it's just like the Israelite priests were sanctified to do the work of the, of the temple and, and maintaining everything that they did in the whole Testament. We're sanctified as well. Just like they were, we are a royal priesthood. We are part of the body of Christ. And if you have a relationship with Christ, you have been set apart for God to accomplish his purposes in and through. We are called to be saints together. You know, individually, we have faith stories. Uh, We have a personal walk with Christ. Um, We have a personal devotion life. But as an individual, you are called to something together with other believers. And if we forget our identity... If we forget our identity and we forget the importance of that first requirement of knowing who we are, then that is most certainly going to cause divisions and and a lack of harmony amongst us. We have to be clear about who we are in Christ. Whenever there's a conflict that I get involved in or if I'm helping somebody else with a conflict, my first question is, do you have a relationship with Christ? Because who you are in Christ centers you and helps you to better understand how to handle specific situations, whether it's conflict, be it whatever it is. Our identity in Christ is paramount, and our identity in Christ and who we are together is critically important, which is why membership is so important to us at Springbrook. You know, membership is an opportunity for us to say that we agree on these things. Here's our vision, mission, and values. We agree on these things, and together, we're going to work together to accomplish what God has for us. Membership is not just a piece of paper somebody signs. It's not just a step or a hoop that we ask people to, you know, jump through. Membership is an opportunity for us to sit down and take a look together at who you are in Christ. That's why we ask people to write their faith stories out and their testimony. We want to make sure people understand first and foremost who they are in Christ. And then the membership covenant goes on and looks at, here's some things that are important, and are we in agreement about these things? And so we covenant together to say, hey, these things are important to us. And so it's an agreement about who we are individually and who we are called to be um, together, which leads us to the second point that's really important. The first requirement of us being able to experience the power of unity is rooting and understanding who you are called to be. The second requirement for us to experience the power of unity is understanding who we are together. You have to know what it means to be a part of the body of Christ Individually, we all have relationships with Christ, and so we need to be secure in our identity in that. But we also need to know who we are called to be together. What do we experience together that is critically important if we're going to experience unity? Well, Paul breaks these out uh, in terms of three different realities 
that we're going to experience if we're going to understand who we are together. And the first reality is this. We have all experienced God's grace together. That's something that we all share together, that we have all experienced God's grace together. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that you've been saved by grace through faith. We have all experienced grace together. That's something that we all share in common. And that's one of the things that unifies us together is the body of Christ, that we're all Christ followers and we're all Christians. And so we've all experienced a relationship with Christ. We've all experienced God's grace. And that is an important part of who we are together. But the Apostle Paul writes this in verses 4 through 7. He says this, I give thanks to my God always because of the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul takes this understanding of grace and he applies it to the body of Christ, not just in what we share with regard to our individual faith, but because of the spiritual gifts that he has given us as we serve together to build up the body of Christ and explore unity. And, you know, from a scriptural perspective, the Bible says that if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift and it's been given to you for the purpose of building up the body of Christ so that we may be strengthened until we attain the unity of the faith. And so this grace that you're experiencing individually because of who you are in Christ is also the same grace that we can experience as we all use our spiritual gifts and bring them together to bring up the body of Christ. You know, Paul reminds them of the grace that God that was given to them in Christ so that they are enriched in Christ in their speech and in their knowledge. You know, we have a testimony. Each of us has an individual testimony if we're Christ followers of when we made a faith commitment. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith in Christ, not by works, so that no one can boast. And everybody can go back to that and say, I realized the point that I made a faith commitment. But then as you go on in Ephesians 2.10, it says that you have been created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do beforehand. And so you also are a part of a larger body of Christ where you've been given a spiritual gift where you're fulfilling out your purpose and building up the body of Christ. You have been enriched in your speech and in your knowledge and in your understanding of what it means to be a part of building up the body of Christ. We have a testimony, and then we also have a spiritual gift, and we experience grace corporately as people use their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. We're experiencing God's grace as people come together to serve together on Sunday morning. We experience God's grace as we use our gifts in the context of ministry during the week. We experience God's grace corporately as people live out and use their spiritual gifts in the context that God has given them. It is so that you are not lacking any gift. Paul is speaking specifically about spiritual gifts. And we will avoid divisions, and we will avoid strife, and we will be united when the Spirit of God has empowered every believer to utilize their gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. When we all know and are using our spiritual gifts, the body of Christ is strengthened. It's united which is why we have a spiritual gifts class that we offer at least quarterly. We just finished one. We have another one coming up. If you don't know your spiritual gift, I want to encourage you to jump in to one of our spiritual gifts workshops. Every believer has a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And when that happens, we're unified, we're made stronger, and we're able to experience God's grace. You know, the second reality of knowing who we are in Christ together, 
We experience God's grace, but then we also find that that's where we find our hope is in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the strengths that we have of knowing who we are is, is that we can encourage one another in the hope that we have in Christ. Paul would show us at the end of verse 7 and verse 8, he says this. He says that I, you've got these things so you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you until the end. So we are, we are waiting for the revealing of the return of Christ. He's going to sustain us until the end. When Christ returns, we're going to be found guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we find our hope. And so when we are together and unified together, we get to experience that individually, but there's something about when we experience that together that's so important as we sharpen one another and encourage one another as we live out our faith. We experience unity, and we're most strengthened when we have our eyes set on Jesus and we have our eyes on eternity. Now, how much God blesses us and how how much we can enjoy in the present, we are still waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's a surprise for anybody, but at Springbrook, we are eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus. Is that how you live your life out? When you wake up in the morning, do you realize every Every day that you have is a gift. Every breath that you draw is a gift. Jesus could return right now while I'm speaking. He could return tomorrow. He could return next week. You know, so we live within the reality of the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. And so we need to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We are living out our faith until the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to sustain us until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to be found guiltless. And so as a part of the body of Christ, we need to encourage one another in that truth, in that reality. You know, is your longing and eager anticipation on the return of Jesus? Our vision and mission at Springbrook is all about pointing people and preparing people for the return of Jesus. That's why we always encourage people, if you have questions about a relationship with Christ, don't wait till tomorrow to make that faith commitment. I mean, Jesus could return today. And if you wait, it's too late. That actually rhymes. If you wait, it's too late. Jesus could return at any moment. And so we are living out our faith, eagerly awaiting the return of Christ, and we're securing who we are in Christ, and we know we're going to stand guiltless before the Father because of our relationship with him. And that's something that we embrace and share and teach together. Paul says that it's God who is keeping us strong until that day, who's going to sustain us until the end so we can be found guiltless and blameless in that day. And that Greek word of, of strengthening carries on a, a perspective of you are, being, you are being strengthened and you're being established, you're being built up. It's almost like you're going to the gym and you you're, you're have a, a workout and you're, you're lifting weights and you're working out. And so the Holy Spirit is strengthening in us and sustaining us until that day that Christ returns. And when we come together, is the body of Christ, and we encourage each other in our faith, that's a strengthening and sustaining. You can't do that on your own. You know, you need other people around you praying for you and encouraging you and reading the Bible together. It's important. It's imperative that we be able to explore and share that um, together. Our hope is not to be in people or things of this world, but rather our eyes are focused on eternity as we wait for the second coming of Christ. And so we know that it's important for us to be able to um, experience who we are 
individually, and we need to know who we are together. And then this third area that Paul reminds us of, this third reality is this. Let's go to the third reality. We have been called into a fellowship. We know who we are. We've experienced the grace of God. We've experienced our hope in Jesus Christ. And we've experienced this being called into fellowship um, together. And so fellowship is one of those words that we kind of chuckle when we use it around the office because it gets overused. And so we can have a pie fellowship or we can have a, you know, we can have a fellowship at the gym. Or we can have, you know, we use the word fellowship a little bit loosely um, when we use the word uh, but what Paul's talking about here is, is a different kind of fellowship. In verse 9, he says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into a fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so fellowship from a biblical perspective is what we share and who we are together in Christ. And so this is a fellowship of believers that are focused on who they are in Christ. They're encouraging one another. They're praying for one another. They're studying the Bible together. And so fellowship is an opportunity for us to come together and grow in our faith together. It's not just about having pie and ice cream or going to the gym. There's something different about who we have been called to be together as the body of Christ. And the you in that paragraph is plural. It's not you individually, but you collectively have been called together to be a part of the body of of Christ. And so you have been called into a fellowship. It's reflective of being a part of a, of a family. You are a part of the family of God. And I think this is why many people choose to gather maybe only once or twice a month or come to, you know, you know church occasionally is because they don't understand how important the family dynamic is. We are a church family. And uh, when you're missing, we miss you. And when you celebrate, we celebrate with you. And when you're weeping, we weep with you. And so we are a family of God. We are a fellowship. And that's one of the primary identities of who we are um, together. That's why small groups are important. That's why prayer groups are important. That's why Sunday morning and midweek services are important. That's why serving together is, is important because we are a family that serves and works together to accomplish what God has for us as a body of Christ. And so that's what a fellowship is all about. It's about being a part of a family that serves together in Christ. And so as Paul reminds us, as he encourages us in our faith, um, it's with the perspective of there's some things that are going to need to be fixed. But you know, before we get into addressing these areas that need to be fixed, I want you to be reminded of who you are and who we are called to be together. And so as we go through this series there's going to be areas of caution. There's going to be things that we need to work on, things that we need to address. Uh, and so Paul's going to help us to be able to identify things that we should do and not do so that we can be unified. But I love the way he opens this book up by encouraging us to understand who we are individually and who we are together. Because with, if those two things aren't happening, um, then we are not going to be unified there is going to not be harmony. There's going to be divisiveness. And so it's critically important that you understand who you are in Christ first. In fact, it was really interesting because after the first service um, this morning, I had an opportunity to talk to somebody about who they are in Christ. And so we kind of processed through it. And uh, Sean, Sean Bach, he made a faith commitment this morning because he was like, hey, I just never knew who I was in Christ. I never understood what church was about. But now this makes sense. And so it starts with understanding. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, then church doesn't make sense. And if church doesn't make sense, then that's where there's going to be disunity and the lack of harmony. And so until we understand who we are individually called to be and then who we are called to be together as the body of Christ, there's going to be disunity. And we don't want that. 
We want to make sure that people understand who they are in Christ. We want to make sure people understand what the church is supposed to be doing. And that's what our vision, our mission, and our values and why our ministry exists. To reach and to build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Paul would conclude his passage with uh, verse 10. He says this. This is his appeal. This is his prayer. This is where his heart is. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you might be united in the same mind and the same judgment. We can't be united, and there cannot be any divisions unless we are clear about who we are in Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, I am so glad that you are here. We want to help you discover how to have a relationship with Christ. Because apart from that, being a part of the body of Christ doesn't make sense. And if you are a Christ follower, we want to encourage you to be a part of our church family as we step out and who God has called us to be together. Because without understanding who you are in Christ and without understanding who we're called to be, there can be no unity. And so as we seek the power of unity, as we seek the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, it begins by understanding those two identities. And that's what Paul is praying for and encouraging us that we would not be divided, but that we would be united in who we are in Christ. You need to remember that you have been sanctified in Christ. You have been set apart for God's purposes. You are God's holy people. If you have a relationship with Christ, you've been justified by faith, you're growing in your faith. You have been set apart for a purpose. And it's important that you understand that identity. And then you need to remember who we are as the body of Christ, unified with a vision to reach and build passionate followers of Christ. That's why we exist. And you need to understand what it means to be a part of Springbrook. And if you have questions about that, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you more about that. On August 11th, in two weeks, we have a starting point workshop coming up. And it's in that workshop that we'll talk about our vision, our mission, our values. And if you're interested in membership, you'll have an opportunity for that. But uh, I just want to encourage you, if you've never been to a starting point, just to come check that workshop out because that's going to identify for you what's important to us at Springbrook. We have got to be united around what's important as the body of Christ. And if you have any questions about that, I'd love to answer them. Even if you don't want to be a member, I'd encourage you to come check that workshop out. It's important that we be united in who we are in Christ together. That's Paul's prayer uh, for that early church, and that's his prayer for us um, today. I think one of the things that we can do to really be united is to just to pr- spend time and pray together. Prayer is an integral part of our ministry and who we're called to be together as we pray for one another, as we praise God together, as we lift up our, our prayers and our petitions to God. You know, prayer is an important aspect um, of our ministry in our church. In fact, in uh, uh, Philippians 4, Paul says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we pray together, when we, when we come together and we lift that time up to the Lord and we pray and supplicate with thanksgiving to God, that unites us in a way that no other way can. Prayer is such an important part of what it means to be unified together. The second and fourth Sundays of each month, we usually have upfront prayer, and it's an opportunity for people to come forward and let us pray for them. We've got uh, a prayer team that meets on Wednesday that prays over those prayer requests that you submit each week. We've got our pastoral prayer team that's praying for our transition. Prayer is important to us as a church. And one of the things that we've been praying about is maybe having a, a corporate 
prayer gathering um, monthly. And so last, last month we announced Leroy Tucker moved into our position of our, our prayer director. And so Leroy and I have been talking about some different prayer initiatives. And uh, we just want to be a church of prayer. And so we're going to be hosting each month a time of corporate prayer. And we're going to be starting uh, next on Tuesday, August 20th. That's going to be from 7 um, to 8.30, and we're going to spend a time in uh, reflection, some time in worship, and we're going to spend some time together in corporate prayer, and we're going to just do that for an hour and a half. And so I've asked Leroy if he could come out this morning, and Leroy is going to share a little bit from his perspective about why prayer is such an important part of unity in the church. And so, Leroy, what are your thoughts about how important prayer is um, to unity within the church? Well, good morning, everyone. Um, when I think about the importance of prayer um, and the unity of the church, I can't help but think about um, when Jesus was praying in the garden. The next day he would go to the cross, and one of the last things that he prayed on that night was he prayed for unity for both the disciples, and he prayed for unity for all who would follow, all the believers who would come after the apostles because of their teaching. That reaches, That's talking about us today. And so the fact that Jesus would have spent one, some of his final moments in prayer praying for our unity tells me that unity is very important, right? <clears throat> I remember um, an experience that Connie and I uh, had a few years ago. We served, um, we were attending and involved in a church in Wisconsin. And we had a beloved pastor there who um, felt that God was calling him to another church in a different part of the country, so he resigned and left. And the church there was uh, similar to what we're going through here, um, having a search committee conduct a search to try to find the next person who would lead the church. And um, <clears throat> so we gathered and we prayed and um, proceeded. In this particular church, we had a lot of people from different backgrounds, and so there were things in the church that began to arise over time. There were some people who preferred a contemporary church, some people who wanted a, tr- a more traditional church, we had some charismatic believers who came to the church. They wanted a little more of that flavor. Some people were opposed to that. And in addition to those things, we also had um, some church discipline issues that were serious issues that had to be dealt with. So there were, began, began to be these things that came to the surface that were things who could, that could potentially divide the church and affect the unity of the congregation and of the leadership. So... We, uh, we began um, a prayer group. We had, I think, four people when we started, and when we finished, there was like 25 to 30 people who would meet weekly to just, just to pray for, over these things and to pray for God to guide us and help us through this period. <clears throat> it was really amazing, the things that began to happen. Um, there were some people who had been talking about possibly leaving the church because they didn't like this or they didn't like that or they thought that they, it needed to be this way or that way. But, you know, when we have the bond of Christ that draws us together and when Christ is the central focus of our life, those other things just begin to melt away. And we could see that the, the Spirit of God working in the hearts of people in the congregation and in the leadership as they were able to speak wisdom and truth to, to the situation and help people come to understand that our commitment is to God, it's not to our agenda. And so people began to um, to see the importance of, of unity and of pulling together. And those things kind of faded away and became less important. And uh, you could, I mean, you could just see it. I, I had some conversations myself where I, I could just sense this happening. And people's hearts just began to change. And that was the work of the Holy Spirit at work, I think, because of the prayers that were taking place. And God was doing something in our midst. So this search went on for about two years. And honestly, I don't know of anybody in the church 
as far as I know, who left because they were discontented or because they had an agenda or a, a complaint. God drew the church together and created this unity in, the, in us that was stronger than the opinions and the interpretations and the preferences of people. And so um, that, la- that search, as I said, it was about two years long, and um, God did an amazing thing. It, w- it really was a miracle. Uh, no one could have done that but him. So we're just grateful for that, and I, I remember that um, when I think about our circumstance today and how God is glorified when we yield to him, and our prayer, prayer was a key component to that. Just as prayer is a key component in your individual life, prayer in our corporate life is, is, um, is a key component as well as we move forward together. Yeah. It's amazing um, some of the things that you'll see people fight over in a church, whether it's the color of the carpet or the style of music. There's a lot of things that would div- divide us. Um, sexual immorality, <laughs> discipline, there's a lot of things that divide a church. But I think one of the things that happens when we come together in prayer is it enables us to focus on who we are in Christ and it enables us to understand who we are together as a body of Christ. And so I want to thank you for stepping into that um, position of leadership. Uh, for our prayer team. I'm really looking forward to what God's going to do in and through that. I'm looking forward to our monthly prayer gathering. And so our next prayer gathering, uh, our first is going to be uh, Tuesday night. It's going to be from 7 to 8.30. And then we're going to spend some time in prayer. And I know there's a lot of things that compete for our time. We were talking a little bit earlier about some of the things that are struggles that prevent people from being able to experience, you know, something like a corporate prayer gathering. Sometimes it's our calendars, it's time. Sometimes it's the fear of the unknown. They're not quite sure what to do. And so um, we're going to spend some time in prayer this morning. And so uh, Leroy is going to be back in one of those corners, and we've got two groups set up for the back. And so I'm going to let Leroy head back there. Leroy, thanks for your leadership. And um, uh, we're going to spend some time with our upfront prayer. Usually we do that during the fourth song at the beginning of the service, and it can get a little bit rushed. And so we're going to spend the next five or ten minutes um, in uh, corporate prayer time. And so we're going to model for you a little bit about what it's going to look like for us when we come together uh, on Tuesday the 20th. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time on reflection. We're going to have some music, and then we're just going to spend some time in prayer. And so this morning, uh, I'd like to invite our prayer team to come forward now. And so if we can pray for you individually, if you've got something that uh, we can pray for you about, we want to invite you to uh, make your way to the front. Um, We've got some groups uh, back in the back. And so if you uh, have always wondered what happens in a prayer group, you don't have to pray if you go back there. You just want to sit and listen and see what they pray for. Sometimes I learn to pray by listening to other people. And so you can make your way back to one of those corners. Uh, we've got some uh, chairs set up in the back. And then, or if you just want to sit in your seat, uh, you can just pray individually. Maybe you can pray with the person next to you. But we're going to spend the next five, ten minutes uh, in prayer together corporately. And then we're going to come back together in just a moment.
Praise to the Lord who are all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires there have been? Granted in what he ordained. Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy your daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Gladly for a we adore 
Father, I just want to thank you for this uh, day you've given us today, and I just thank you for this time that we could share together uh, as the body of Christ. I thank you for Paul's reminder of the importance of knowing who we belong to, God, that you have set us apart for your purposes. Uh, God, so thank you for the reminder of the importance of knowing who we are in Christ. And I thank you for this body of Christ at Springbrook, and thank you for the reminder of who we are together and what we've been called to do. I pray that you just continue to strengthen our ministry as we seek to fulfill your purpose for us to reach this community for Christ and to grow passionate disciples. And God, I just thank you for this time you've given us today. We lift the remainder of our day up to you until the day that you return. God, I pray that you strengthen us, and we look forward to all that you have for us together. In Christ's name, amen.